Hello and welcome to the News Agent Podcast. This is Sophia D. Clayton, Head of Content at GoodLord. This podcast is a recording of a webinar called What a- Letting Agents Need to Know for 2024. Rick Smith, Director of Tenancy Services at GoodLord, hosted the webinar and was joined by Ryan Heaven, Solicitor at Dutton Gregory, and Rob Owens, Head of Research at eServe. They cover upcoming trends in the rental market, the cost of living and energy bills, upcoming legislation, and what else to expect in 2024. So without further ado, on with the podcast. My name is Rick Smith. I'm the Director of Tenancy Services here at Goodlord. Uh, and the aim of today, uh, this hour, is to talk about what letting agents and property professionals need to know uh, in 2024. Uh, I'm joined uh, by Rob Owens, uh, the Head of Research at eServe, uh, and Ryan Heavens, uh, the Associate uh, Solicitor uh, at Dutton Gregory. Uh, so, Rob, um, if you could just uh, join us at this point. Hello. Welcome, Rob. How are you doing this morning? Yes, good. Thank you. Brilliant. Brilliant. So um, just for completeness, if you could just uh, introduce yourself a little bit of background um, so that our listeners can um, can get to know you a little bit better. Yes. So um, I, as, as you said there, Rick, I'm head of research at eServe. Um, prior to that, uh, I worked at Zupra and HomeTrack. Uh, and then prior to that, I worked in the social housing public sector, um, mainly doing kind of asset management and corporate finance, but was heavily involved in rent setting and uh, the build to rent uh, as it was kind of just starting out back in the day. Brilliant, brilliant. So quite a quite a strong foundation there in the in the property sector to, to really bring that bring that knowledge to us uh today. So thank you very much for for joining us. Um Ryan, I'm aware, is having some technical difficulties. It wouldn't be a webinar without some technical difficulties. Uh, so Ryan, hopefully you can hear us this morning. How are you doing this morning? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Just in time. time. Only only five or 10 minutes of of madly joining and leaving. Uh, But all good. We can now hear you. So, uh, so Ryan, uh, solicitor at Dutton Gregory, um, talk to us a little bit more about about uh, about your background and and your expertise. Yeah, so um, I'm solicitor, so I deal with most things landlord and tenant. Um, my relationship with Good Lord is uh, if you're using Good Lord's tenancy agreement, and I hope you are, uh, I've had quite a heavy hand in, in drafting that. So if you've got any questions or, or problems with it, then I'm usually the person who um, who has to justify themselves. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I've, I've, I can uh, do all sorts of landlord and tenant stuff, really. So from drafting to evictions, uh, the, the full the full spread. Brilliant, and yeah, and that's that's a real quite a quite a breadth of knowledge uh, that you bring to the conversation today. And I think it's it's really important that you know today we've got an open Q and A uh, for you to put those questions in via the Zoom feature. Uh, and uh, and uh, Danielle, who's uh, who's off screen, who is the mystery good lord joiner, uh, who's driving the slides behind, will help uh, help me bring those Q and A into the conversation uh, where appropriate. Uh, or at the very least, we'll make sure we'll have some uh, time at the end uh, to address some of those Q and A. So um, before we before we kick off, um, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a good Lord webinar without a little bit of a, a conversation about what good Lord is. Uh, so we believe that we can be part of the solution uh, and helping lead the way uh, where it comes to making sure that all our customers uh, are compliant uh, and helping make the pre-tenancy process uh, as swift uh, and efficient as possible. Uh, we take ev- care of everything from, from landlord terms of business uh, all the way through to collecting, collecting deposits uh, and then the first month's rent uh, and beyond with industry collect- with industry leading uh uh, rent collection rates, including rent protection uh, for that peace of mind, as, help, as well as helping make sure your tenants get set up uh, with all those necessary bills uh, and discretionary bills from council tax to broadband uh, and the latest streaming services. If you want to find out more about Good Lord, uh, you can uh, or what Good Lord can do for your business, uh, you can go to www.goodlord.co uh, and book a demo. We'll gladly take you through how Good Lord can have a positive impact uh, on your business. Uh, and really, that goes to all the property professionals uh, who are joining us this morning, uh, from the smallest letter agents to the biggest, uh, or even uh, those other pr- property professionals uh, who may be looking to get into this space. Uh, very much conscious that we always attract a, a good spectrum uh, of, uh, of joiners uh, to webinars like this. But uh, without further ado, on to, on to today. Uh, so the three R's, that's, that's uh, Rob, Ryan and Rick, uh, are going to talk you through uh, what it might look like in 2024. We're going to get our crystal balls uh, out, of our, out of our bags uh, and we're going to have a little bit of a sort of conversation about what that, what that could look like. From trends in the market, uh, cost of living uh, and, uh, and the impact of energy bills it has had uh, on, on UK consumers, both tents, landlords uh, and the like, uh, as well as up and coming legislation change. Now, 
you you may have already tuned into some of our uh, renters reform bill type content. There's that, and there's 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 others uh, in the mix, uh, as well as what else to expect from 2024. Always some surprises, uh, which will surprise us as well as anyone who comes along the way. Uh, so, without further ado, let's move on uh, to the sort of the first sort of side of things: the rental market. Now, with the experts that we've got on the call uh, with us this morning, um, you know, it would be great to you know start to talk about you know what we think that's going to look like. Now, in fact, uh, we've all heard and seen and experienced that the high, high uh, demand from tenants uh, in 2023 uh, for for new properties and for moving house. So, Rob, I was wondering if you could talk to us about you know. Is that is that high level of demand likely to continue into 2024? I think so to an extent. You know, there are probably three main reasons outside of the, the supply pressures we're going to talk about later. So obviously the cost of living squeeze, so rising inflation, household bills, mortgage costs, you know, is making rent renting more financially viable. Or, you know, people are kind of stuck in that kind of renting holding pattern until kind of their circumstances or conditions improve. So especially kind of those young professionals and would-be first-time buyers. I think the other the other thing that's kind of driven demand is obviously that return to the office. So kind of post-pandemic, see a lot of renters previously maybe had moved out of, of their accommodation, went to live with mum and dad or uh, move elsewhere. I think what we've seen is with the return to the office, perhaps uh, increasing uh, over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, more demand as, as as people come back to kind of live and 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 work more kind of locally to where they where they reside, and and then lastly, I guess international students again post pandemic. There's been a massive increase in the number of international students coming over. Uh, those university towns are you know typically where we see the largest uh, supply of rental stock, and obviously they need to rent. So uh, that's also putting pressure on the on the private rented sector in those areas. And that, that's that's fascinating. So I think we've we've heard very much in sort of in in the pandemic this sort of race for space as people move out of cities. Uh, and in fact, I think we saw the 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 sort of available uh, properties clearly stock change as well as the rent offered, like discounting in cities and and surging outside. Like is that is that completely flipped? Are we now back to a pre-pandemic kind of sort of profile? I think we're a lot closer to what we saw pre-pandemic, yes. Um, you know, I think there are some exceptions to the rules. So anecdotally, what we're hearing uh, in Scotland, which obviously has recently started its own rent cap uh, scheme, uh, what we're seeing is landlords perhaps looking to move over to short lets. So the Airbnbs of this world, and, and, and you know, we saw something very similar during the, pa- the early stages of the pandemic as landlords started to realise that that supply of renters were were, were shipping out of the town. So um I think I think we're kind of broadly back where we were, um, and, and you know I think supply as well has also kind of remained relatively static over that time as well. So yeah, broadly speaking, it's it's kind of as you were. Brilliant, and and that's quite an interesting point that the the stock has remained relatively static because again, there's all these headlines about yes. uh, mortgage rates scaring off landlords, mass sell up, uh, etc. Like, how much truth is there really to any of that? Yeah, a little bit. I think I think where we're seeing kind of those, uh, you know, the the landlords who have been hit hardest are obviously the ones that use mortgage finance. So you know the 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 kind of the line between viable and unviable is probably a little bit thinner, and they're a bit more pressed. I think what we've got to remember though is that a large number of of rented stock is owned by you know people who either own outright, have no mortgage finance, or are cash buyers. So. You know the uh, the Daily Telegraph might have you believe that uh, you know everyone's shipping out, but I do think it is a it's a, a smaller cohort than perhaps the headlines suggest. And 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 what about sort of landlord profitability? So I think at one point Savills produced a report. I think it was earlier in two thousand twenty three that was about sort of the net profit reaching an all time low for a landlord sort of entering the market. Like, is it is it conducive to is the market conducive to to landlords either entering or at least growing their portfolios? I think, I think again, for cash buyers, potentially, yes. I think when you look at the other side of the equation, i.e. Uh, house prices, market has been relatively flat. Uh, you know, there's probably some bargains to be had. Obviously, rents have been, you know, going like the clappers. You know, we've been seeing mm. double-digit growth for probably the last 12 to 18 months. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of profitability, yes. I think in terms of total return, you know, where you're, you're factoring in the capital growth, that's probably been going to be slightly more modest but yeah in terms of a yields perspective yeah things are things are looking better 
Brilliant. And, and I think, you know, from a, from a sales perspective, of course, then, yeah, there's always, there's, there's more than one dimension to the market here. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, buying and selling of sort of home or occupied, uh, properties. What are we seeing there? Again, again, mortgage, mortgage prices, uh, you know, talked about scaring off buyers. And is it, is it now a, a buyer's market or a seller's market? It's a... <sighs> Depends. I think it's a tricky one. So over over 2023, obviously saw the number of sales contract. So kind of the long run average is around 1.3 million. Last year, we were around a million transactions for the year. Um, and I think what we've seen is really you know, the, the share of buyers has changed over that time. So cash buyers has you know cash buyers were the largest kind of segment in terms of last year with with first time buyers shortly behind where we've seen kind of a, a, a large fall has has been buy to let mortgage purchases which mm. you know based on our data it, it, it's looking around 30 40 percent kind of drop on the year i think what we've seen probably in terms of prospects for 2024 is you know the last quarter uh from september last year we were starting to see mortgage rates fall I think I've just seen this morning uh, the first sub four percent five year fix, uh, yep. you know, which hopefully might start to grease the wheels again and 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 get people back into the housing market and in terms of purchase. Brilliant. Okay, so so again, making sure that we're we're gazing into that crystal ball uh, for twenty twenty four. Demand from tenants up down the same, back to pre pre mini budget yeah. pre pandemic. <laughs> No, I, I think demand will probably remain elevated because, you know, the, the challenge we have right now is perhaps those first time buyers or would be first time buyers in the rental market who are kind of keeping their powder dry, probably waiting mm. for rates to kind of dip a little bit more. You know, they've probably saved a bit of a nest egg, you know, during the pandemic and they're look, they're kind of biding their time. They're waiting for more favorable conditions and perhaps as as those first time buyers kind of move into home ownership we might see demand kind of soften a little bit but it's you know the the fundamentals are still there i think for you know relatively robust uh, demand looking into 2024 brilliant and what about you know one of the one of the key things we haven't actually really mentioned is average rents like we've seen those go up over 2023 uh by you know at times double digit sort of percentage rises um is that here to stay? I mean, we, we, the commentary you've used is, is about actually sort of some of the demand sort of softening. So supply demand, does that lead into prices? Yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, it, it, it wasn't going to be sustainable, those double digit growth uh, of, of rents that we were seeing. I think what we can probably expect is, you know, there is still some headroom in the market. There's still some, you know, opportunity to to grow rents. But it probably will be kind of closer to single digit figures as opposed to what we were seeing last year. And and with that in mind, is there a is there a difference between in, in that sort of overarching commentary in terms of either Scotland, England, Wales, or even sort of urban centres versus non-urban centres? Is you know, is one hotter than the other, should we say? Well, I think Scotland is a law unto itself. So uh, it, it, <laughs> Don't we know that, it? <laughs> that that's a bit that's a bit trickier to kind of crystal ball gaze into but you'd expect i think most markets will remain kind of where they you know will remain we'll, we'll see growth in most markets i think you know the urban centers are you know where classically that's where rents are you know where the rental stock is uh you know in the more rural or, or kind of more suburban areas there's you know there's, there's a smattering of uh, of rental stock and 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 you know that that will always serve a purpose and will always kind of perform relatively well because of the the relatively limited supply of that stock brilliant okay that that's really interesting thank you very much rob for for taking us through that uh, and i think you know this is one of the strings to our bow about what's what's happening in 2024 um another component uh, of what's happening uh, in 2024 if we move on to the onto the next onto the next slide in the next area um is very much looking about what about what about the cost of living uh we've definitely had a had quite a lot of conversation especially since the um the invasion of uh, of ukraine uh and the sort of oil price shock which is very reminiscent of what's what happened in the 1970s and and really the question is are we are we coming out sort of the other side of that um so i mean 
one this is this is some to some extent is some of the sort of my area of expertise my background uh, in the energy industry uh, very much talks to the fact that you know what there is a bit of a mantra that um that power follows gas and gas follows oil and that's in terms of price so when there's when the oil price goes up the gas price goes up and when the gas price goes up the electricity price goes up uh, and that's really what we've experienced over the past few years we all saw our energy bills uh, as consumers at home uh, skyrocket uh, you know in advance of last winter and what happened, of course, the government stepped in, reduced the price from from its high. They introduced introduced the energy price guarantee, and then they also gave us all four hundred quid uh, towards our energy bills, um, which is all all fantastic and really helped take the take the sting out of the tail of that uh, of that price increase. But here we are, the next winter, when, when there isn't such a level of of government intervention. But actually, the way that the numbers pan out is that the average price of what someone actually paid last winter after all these discounts, is going to be very, very similar uh, to what is being paid this winter. And that's after the £400 credit and everything else. So, and, you know, obviously, we, we, we did webinars and everything else about how, um, how consumers can, can be supported and helped out uh, when it comes to talking to the energy suppliers, uh, seeking help from the warm home discount uh, and, and appropriate schemes like that. But, but, you know, this is just one item. You know, the, the uh, energy bills is one component to the sort of economic landscape. Another is, of course, inflation. Um, and it's, it's really worth making sure that, you know, what we did see was actually that price shock of, of energy also then impacted all the other industries, which, of course, burn oil uh, or use electricity in the manufacturing and creation uh, of those things, as well as supply uh, and demand constraints. So, so, Rob, you know, one of the things that we've we've seen, and I've just sort of highlighted sort of some of the sort of sort of cycle we've been through, uh, and of course, some people have have rents that are linked to RPI and CPI. Uh, I mean, what what do you see? What do you see happening to these sort of inflation figures um, over the uh, yeah, over twenty twenty four? Well, I think I think we're going in the right direction. Um, you know, the recent kind of um, I think the recent inflation is was, was a bit of a shock to us all, but it's it, it's 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 definitely trending downwards. Um, whether we'll get to the two and a half percent that uh, uh, Rishi Sunak has kind of uh, you know promised uh, is is to be seen. Really, I think. It, yeah, it's a challenging one. I think, yeah, it, I, I think, as you say, Ukraine, obviously, Palestine, Israel as well might have an impact on that, just the, the Middle East as a whole. So it's it, it's a tricky one to gauge, but it does feel like that it is going in the right direction. And and whatever's kicking off in the uh, in the Red Sea as well, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because again, that is another supply route uh, through the Suez Canal, which is you know, for, forcing uh, those large uh, large ships to go around the, the Horn of Africa, uh, around the, around the Cape Horn, um, in order to uh, in order to get you know get supplies to Europe uh, and to the rest of the world. So again, this all adds to the adds to the cost and the price uh, of, of doing business. But uh, we have also seen wage inflation. Um, people have have started to earn more over the course of twenty twenty three. That you know, different sectors have seen you know that keep up, uh, and other sectors have seen that not keep up uh, with those sort of inflationary changes that we've sort of described. And I, I think it's really important that you know inflation coming down uh, is good. No, nobody can really dispute that. But that doesn't mean that prices actually fall. It just means prices aren't rising as quickly, uh, which can be one of those things. And then there's of course there's this conversation about um, take home pay uh, or sort of the real, um, you know, real. Uh, inflation. Uh, that's the sort of the, the the difference between these things. Are you able to outline some of the some of the subtleties in there, Rob? Well, I think it's in terms of wage growth. You're right. It it, it has been kind of trending upwards. It's starting. It looks like to ease down across most sectors. And I think in 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 terms of in in terms of being able to rent, obviously, you know, it it's been a help. But obviously, there are there are other things to consider, i.e., household bills. And the like, so I think it's that gap hasn't probably widened as much, and you know, as 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 we'd have liked, and that's probably why everyone has kind of, in terms of making those housing decisions, unless you've actually had to move, uh, you probably haven't. You've you've probably kind of sat in your hands, and you're kind of waiting for something to happen, i.e., mortgage rates falling, or you know, rents perhaps perhaps starting to cool down a little bit. So I think it's in terms of kind of that that general kind of wage growth versus inflation i think it's it, it's definitely had an impact in kind of the rental market and the and the housing market more widely 
Brilliant. Thank you. And so, I, I mean, the, the our second point here about energy bills. So uh, energy bills these days uh, are mostly set by the regulator and effectively by the government. So Ofgem uses a a spreadsheet, uh, literally, uh, but effectively a, a designed and agreed mechanism to calculate the standard variable price, the price that most people pay uh, across the UK. I think it's now over over 90% uh, of UK consumers are on this variable tariff. They're not on fixed prices these days. And much like mortgages, if it's a variable price, that means it can move and change rather than being held uh, at the same price. So this mechanism has been in place actually for, for four or five years now uh, and has been tweaked and changed over, the, over that time to now be changing quarterly. So the latest bill change that we saw happen uh, was in January 2024, and that's when bills went up by, uh, by 5%, uh, in effect, uh, moving up by on average £94 uh, to £1,928. Average, average, it's an average of an average of an average. Uh, so if your house is larger than average, it means those bills are higher than that and smaller, uh, conversely. But in terms of into 2024, because it is this mechanized clockwork mechanism in a spreadsheet, it means that we can look uh, and try to anticipate what will happen uh, throughout 2024 based upon wholesale markets. So this all sort of couched and caveated in, uh, well, what if there's another price shock? Then all these things go out the, out the window. But actually, in 2024, the expectation is for bills to be relatively flat, maybe going up and down uh, quarterly by five percentage points here and there, but not stepping up and not also ramping down. So if you do have, you know, as property professionals listening today, if you do have uh, tenants who are struggling to pay, uh, it's really important, A, that they talk to their energy supplier about that, uh, because the, your energy supplier does have the ability to negatively, adver- uh, negatively affect your credit score and credit rate and therefore ability to be referenced uh, and everything else. Uh, so it's important that, that, that your tenants are um, open and transparent with their energy suppliers, but also there is help out there. So if, the, if, the, if this winter gets colder, which actually it is forecast to be uh, over this week, uh, then it can trigger uh, cold weather payments. Uh, and those are cold weather payments to pensioners, uh, as well as those in receipt of benefits, uh, which can actually mount up quite quite substantially. There's also the warm home discount, uh, which is available to, to consumers for over £120, but it does require the application and effectively saying, putting your hand up uh, and saying, I need this, this, this support uh, at this point in time. But this is all sort of consumer side of things. What about what about landlords? Um, so it's quite possible that you know a landlord uh, is you know it's it's the winter. Maybe mortgage prices gone up. Maybe their their rent was agreed prior and haven't haven't now got that that wriggle room. Um, so it's important to know that, that there are insulation schemes, uh, whether that's part of the Eco Four uh, or Eco Five scheme, uh, and that's very much about where the property is, what the EPC rating is, as well as potentially. Uh, the tenants that you have in there. If your tenants are in receipt of benefits, it may well actually open up uh, the ability to get further support with insulating that property or even uh, upgrading or replacing the boiler. So, you know, there are there are some schemes out there which are really very much worth looking into. Uh, and some of those can be accessed through energy suppliers uh, and others through your, through your local council. Uh, but there's also what's called the boiler upgrade scheme. And that's where the government will put £7,500 towards replacing boilers in houses with renewable heat uh, alternatives. We are talking about uh, heat pumps, uh, air source heat pumps, uh, more than likely, uh, where that is where that is an option. And that's very much something worth looking into. If you think, oh, my boiler might need to be replaced or that boiler might need to be replaced next winter, maybe not now, then planning in uh, to get it replaced or upgraded, taking advantage of some free money uh, may well be to your advantage. So there's, there's things out there uh, to try and try and help on this journey. Uh, but ultimately, um, you know, it, it is very much a matter of, of open, transparent uh, conversation, which we encourage between tenants and letting agents uh, and talking to those energy suppliers who are more often than not the ones who can help you access those schemes. Brilliant. So uh, we've talked quite a lot about uh, about some of the trends in the markets and sort of cost of living bills. Um, let's talk about 
some of the legislation changes that are coming. Uh, so, Ryan, um, this is where, you know, I know that you, you've, you in fact, help, helped us uh, on numerous occasions previously. And in fact, this series of webinars has, has covered the renters reform bill in some detail uh, in the past. So if you are interested in, in uh, hearing more, uh, Ryan's going to talk to us about it. But also there is even more detail uh, and depth uh, on the Good Lord website um, to help you dig into that. But Go on, Ryan. What, what's going to happen in 2024 uh, when it comes to the renters reform bill? OK, my time to shine. Um, <laughs> I, I won't um, I won't recap all the renters reform bill stuff. Um, oh, but here, give us the high level. Give us well, the sort of well, the the, headlines. This is just it. There is there is obviously a good Lord course uh, on renters reform. And I think anyone who's here will probably know the the, you know, the real headlines of, of you know, Section 21 being done away with fixed terms coming to an end, um, things like property portals uh, coming in, in into force. And I, I, like I said, I suspect a lot of people on webinars like this will, will be aware of those things. In terms of where we are presently with it, um, <clears throat> it's gone through the committee stage. So um, legislation in Parliament is scrutinised by a committee which is made up of a cross-section of MPs. Um, it's it, it mirrors the um, the demographics of Parliament, so it's a Conservative majority. Um, effectively, that means that um, it, it, it it can be quite tribal, and there are a bunch of uh, amendments proposed to the legislation. And as you can imagine, the Conservative ones were accepted, and the Labour ones were not. Uh, but what was quite interesting from from that is it indicates where the government wants to take this and where the opposition wants to take this, and it's incredibly relevant because twenty twenty four is an election year. Um, that's probably the most important issue for, for the future of renters reform. Um, when the election is um, and also who wins that election. So we can make some assumptions. There are there are three speculated dates for the uh, for the election. Uh, there's one in spring, one in October and then one January 2025. Then but I think Rishi, Rishi kind of came out of the came out of the behind the curtain was it last week or the week before and kind of ruled out one or two options. Is that right? Yeah. It looks like it's going to be October. Um, there, there was speculation it would be spring. He was just going to, he was going to try and, I don't know. May, Maybe. May. We always have elections in May, not literally, but more often than not. Yeah. But that's off the, off the table now. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the proof will be in the pudding, I suppose, but um, it looks like we'll be getting an election this year. Uh, and it won't be too soon. It won't be too late. Uh, I think it may be like a Goldilocks election that it's just right in the middle. Um, and so then the question is, does this get passed before the legislation? And uh, maybe if the government thinks this is a potential vote winner, they'll do it. Um, do they think it's a vote winner is maybe the best question there. Um, given that there's, there's maybe some assumptions you can make about the voting tendencies of landlords compared to tenants, landlords, broadly speaking, would prefer not you know prefer this legislation wasn't passed and so it's not really much of a of a vote winner i think from the from the government's perspective i mean nevertheless they've made commitments to pass it and so you can expect that they're probably going to be pressing on with that but but just to challenge that ryan so um i thought you know some of the sort of headline grabbing uh sort of bits from the renters reform bill is about you know eliminating um no fault evictions and stuff like that that sounds like a vote winner surely surely that's gonna spin you know tip the balance well so this, this is where we need to consider what the opposition are doing as well because th this is legislation which uh will pass because it has cross-party cross supports the question is do the you know, the, the tenant voters um think that their interests are best served by voting conservative and getting this version of the legislation or potentially getting something slightly more generous to tenants via, from a Labour government. Um, so will it swing anything in, in, a, in a direction the government wants? Um, I'm not I'm not certain that it would, because again, go back to the, the committee stage, the proposed amendments, all of the Labour proposals were far more generous to tenants, again, perhaps you would expect that, than the government's proposed amendments. So this kind of takes us back to, does it pass before the, before the election? Yes or no? Uh, and again, we don't have a final version of, of the legislation yet either. So we don't know what that's going to look like. If it does pass before the election, it will be up to the next government to decide what they actually want to do with the thing. So even if we get a Renters Reform Act 2024, that could be completely gutted and redone. And we could end up with a Renters Reform Act 2025, which fundamentally changes all of what we are currently talking about. And, and, would, and just, to, just to check, so just to check in that sort of scenario where there is something passed in Parliament, 
in 2024. When would that actually come in and begin to bite, like actually have an impact? Yes, this is is a key part of it, really, is that they can pass the legislation, but this legislation is structured in such a way that they have to also implement the legislation later down the line. So if this passes in February, and and again, I don't really have any particular insight as to when it's going to pass Parliament, the government has to set a date to implement the thing. And that date might not be before the next election. So, um, And we could also imagine that implementation, it won't be and all these rules happen now. It, am mm. I right in saying it's more likely that new tenancy agreements from date X in the future have to be like this, and then old ones, some date in the future, become begin to become like this as well? Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, indeed. So you've got you've, the three key dates are when it passes Parliament, which again is unknown, but that's probably the least important of the dates. The the next date is implementation date, which, as you said, is new tenancies from X date. And and this is familiar for anyone who's dealt with the Deregulation Act changes and the Tenants uh, uh, Fees Act changes. They'd say new tenancies from X date, this applies. Old tenancies from Y date, this applies. So the, the two are intrinsically linked. There will nearly always be a year or so. That's what it was for Tenant Fees Act. You had this year's grace. Period. That's what I was going to ask next. Like, what, what sort of expectations should we have between the act passing and the sort of first wave of implementation? Probably about a year. Yeah, uh, and that's what happened in in Wales with with all the changes that they've had. I, I think the government just thinks you know it's 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 an arbitrary date. It doesn't have to be a year. It could be anything. But they just think a year. Why not? Um, that that that's enough time for people to to get themselves organised. And, and what about sort of existing tenancies? What, what, what sort of sort of what sort of period after that does that tend to begin to bite for? So that that would generally be the year. So you've got implementation date from a certain point. Uh, again, the, the link between when it passes Parliament and the implementation date is entirely uncertain. I've got absolutely no idea. Okay, when they're going no, to that's, that's fair. Caveat. But the link between new tenancies and existing tenancies will probably be. Yeah. So it sounds like we would likely have a new government before any of it actually is implemented, i.e. any of the rules actually begin to bite. And that also gives enough scope for for the next government to change it. I mean, it could be another Conservative government, potentially under a different Prime Minister, who's also got a different view, who somehow feels that they want to revisit it. Or it could be um, a Labour government or, or, or even some sort of yeah. conglomeration mixture. I think the longer, the longer this is taken to pass, the less and less certain you can be about what the final form would be. If it's a pass last year, odds are we that we might actually have an implementation date in our diaries, uh, which makes it far harder for a subsequent government to change it. So because we still have uncertainty about the final form of the bill, when it's going to come in relative to an election date, we have no idea, really, even if we have a legislation that passes Parliament, we don't know when that's going to come in. We don't know what's going to look like when it comes in. Will a future government want to bring it in, in its current form? when they have the option just to rip it all apart and start from scratch. Um, yeah, like I said, the, the longer the delay, the less certain we can be about what it's actually going to look like, which seems strange because we should be looking at a final version fairly soon. Yeah, agreed. And now I appreciate we spent quite a bit of time on this, but it, it, I find it quite interesting. I, ho- I hope uh, those listening also do find it quite interesting. Um, so can you give us any kind of a hint or clue as to what the, for instance, what Labour amendments are sort of looking like? I mean, you sort of hinted at more in favour of the tenants. Um, yeah, I appreciate I'm putting you on the spot here. Like, are you able to sort of hint at what 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 a Labour flavoured reform act might look like? Yeah, so they, they were just broader control mechanisms for certain things. So it was it was broadly the lengthening of notice periods. Um, there was a lot more justification that had to happen if you were going to use the, um, the the new ground one and ground A, which are effectively no fault evictions, but by a different name, uh, yeah. because it's not the tenant's fault. The landlord wants to say sell the property or move into the property. Particular set of control. set of yeah. So they, yeah. they were really um, tightening that up, and I mean, I I see their point. I do. Think think that those are two grounds which are going to be open to abuse um i believe they exist in some form in scotland presently and they are abused um so yeah i can i can certainly see the sentiment behind that so if there was a a labor renters reform act in the future um you would expect basically more of the same um so you've got a certain degree of um shoring up a tenant's rights uh, and that obviously has a has has an impact on landlords rights um you would just expect more so Sure. And it sounds like it would look a little bit more like Scotland, basically. Yeah. Um, Scott, I mean, the key aspect of Scotland is rent control. Um, and I don't okay. think there's any suggestion as rent control in this, but there's no there's no reason to think this is the right vehicle for it even. Um, again, I, I think there has been some discussion in the press about 
about rent controls. Uh, it's been discussed in Wales as well. And Wales is perhaps um, a useful example because the Welsh government is controlled by Labour. Mm. So what they've done in Wales is they have not just introduced rent, you know, rent controls. They have um, they, they've set out um, a request for evidence to say, do we think this is a good idea? Which is, I think is quite sensible because they maybe see in Scotland, maybe think, I don't know if this is quite working in the way that we would want it to work. Let's maybe consider it. So, yeah, it doesn't sound as though they go for a two-footed, let's introduce rent controls nationwide approach. Um, it, I think it might be slightly more subtle than that. They'll at least consider that. I know it's that's, on the that, agenda. That's, that's really interesting. It's really interesting sort of pointing at, at Wales and going like, oh, you know, that's, that's a, there's a bit of a parallel there. Um, maybe I can see if I can bring in Rob at this stage. Like, are you, Rob, are you able to sort of talk about any, any of the sort of differences that we see that are sort of Wales, England, sort of Scotland, whether it's about tenure or, or you know, end of tenancy type reasons or, or, or anything that sort of might hint at what might, how the market might evolve uh, under, a, under a different sort of policy world. I think as Ryan says, I think probably Wales is the case study to look at. Um, so I think that's, that's probably where we're heading. I think possibly devolution as well in England. And, and you know, I think everyone broadly agrees that devolution is going to happen at some point probably not in 2024 probably not even in 2025 but i think giving the regions uh you know greater greater powers you may see a uh, slight divergence in, in in how those areas manage rents and, and and things like rent controls may be more likely uh, but potentially um i think it's, it's it's an interesting one just from kind of a, a housing policy kind of more widely uh just you can see that I don't think I think both parties are keeping their powder dry. I think Labour have probably been stung a little bit. Either you know Ed Miliband and his mansion taxes, or Jeremy Corbyn and his you know uh, right to buy for private rent and 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 the like. And I think you know housing policy tends to be kind of quite decisive, uh, divisive. Um, so I think I think both parties probably you know Conservatives have obviously kind of mooted. Uh, inheritance tax but you know broadly speaking i think they're keeping their powder dry because i think the, the election may be a bit more finely balanced than we think right now interesting that that's that's really interesting thank you for that that rob and so um upcoming legislation change uh, and winning landlords so we talked about you know the complexity uh, potentially that the reform bill brings to the market we're already in a in a market with a number of sort of compliance and regulatory requirements placed upon property professionals um Ryan, you know, what else should we be be aware of that might be coming up? And you know, how can how can property professionals use use that to win new landlords? Well, as as I understand it from speaking to letting agents, um, if you can deal with the changes that are coming in, and assuming those changes are not so horrendous to landlords that they just leave the market entirely then you do sometimes get, uh, I think, maybe a bit of regulation fatigue from landlords where they just think, oh, I just need someone else to manage this now. Um, assuming they don't sell up the property, it's a good time for agents to be set, to, to be more or less demonstrating their value. Um, yeah, I, I think that's um, that's probably the, the the way it has been for, for most of this stuff. The more that the, the screw is turned on landlords, the more stuff they have to be aware of and, and potentially fearful for, the more they might just say, do you know what, for... Ten, twelve percent of the rent per month, you can just deal with it, and I'll um, I'll just sit back. Interesting, yeah. So, so the the extra complexity and the extra requirements really does uh, help uh, justify why a landlord could or should, uh, you know, use a use a letting yeah. agent. I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to bang on about Wales all the, all day, but it, it does. <laughs> it does. I feel like I spent a lot of my time talking about it. I'm conscious there'll be a lot of agents on this webinar right now um in england who have no interest at all in wales but i think it's really interesting um because the the changes in wales were far more serious and far more uh intrusive i think than what's being proposed in rental reform and you know what wales has survived it there's plenty of agents out there that know they know their craft um and um landlords haven't sold up on mass you know um if we if wales can survive that the rest of the country can survive this. And so it's really just a case of, I don't think many landlords will be, flooding the, will be leaving the market as a consequence of this. You know, some will, but um, not all of them will. And some of them will be looking for people to manage their property because they think, do you know what? I can't be dealing with this anymore. I'd rather just um, just sit back and, and, and reap the rewards rather than have being so hands-on anymore. 
and it, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be a good law webinar without me also chipping in saying you know and any letting agents uh, who are looking to make sure that they are compliant uh, and meeting the rules then good lord is your friend uh, in that particular space but yeah enough of that it's a little uh, intermission uh, when it comes to that so um let's move on to our our final area so sort of you know expectations for lettings in 2024 uh agency mergers and acquisitions now this is quite a quite a quite a big area um in terms of things that we you know we've seen there has been quite a few mergers and acquisitions acquisitions um get that out uh, slowly uh in 2023 um, i mean um ryan are you you know what what have you seen when it comes to sort of the the, the combining of forces uh in the market i had um i heard a phrase long ago to describe law firms but i don't see any reason why it wouldn't apply to letting agents as well which is go big or go niche um if there are some enormous letting agent beasts out there and um i think you see more and more um you know private equity getting involved and if if a letting agent gets money behind it then there's no reason why it can't just start gobbling up every little firm in the country but i don't think pound for pound that uh, a a, a behemoth will beat a local independent agent when it comes to knowledge of the market value for their clients. And again, I think it comes down to demonstrating value. There might be some name recognition um, for some of these high street brands. But I think if you if you have a local reputation for being competent and knowing your craft, then um, there's no reason at all why you shouldn't be able to, to thrive. But again, that's that's the niche in this sense. Know your local area, know your markets, know it better than these high street firms and um, and you'll thrive. Brilliant. And and I suppose there are you know there are a number of trends in this in this space. Um, and so Rob, I think we we were talking earlier about sort of the online only people versus the hybrid versus the clearly uh, on the high street. Like, are there, are there are there trends in the market that we can see in terms of sort of activity or preference? I mean, in in, in terms of activity, um, yeah, I, I think as Ryan says, it's it's that local knowledge is always you know um, appreciated by. Uh, would be tenants. I think, you know, as I walk around kind of sunny Clapham where I live, I think what I've seen is perhaps smaller independents, perhaps not having, uh, you know, a high street presence anymore and, and perhaps moving on to kind of that online um, online uh, kind of approach. But I think, yeah, broadly speaking, I think that there's definitely a case for those smaller independents who really know their patch and, and, and can, you know, give you that kind of personal touch that, you know, tenants uh, obviously appreciate. Brilliant, and and I think I mean it's definitely the market is is moving and changing, and it's, it'd be really interesting to hear both of your views on on whether it's a is it a market for new small agents to start? You know, is it a, would it be a great time to start a new estate agent if you're thinking about going out on your own? Uh, not that I'm encouraging that massively from everyone, but but if you were, um, is now the time to do it? Was it was twenty three the year to do it? Twenty one, twenty, or or is is twenty four uh, the time to do it? Like. Is now a good time to to start a new independent niche uh, letting agency? Uh, Rob, what's what are your what are your views? Well, oh dear, um, I, I mean, it, it's a tricky one. I think in terms of you know what we talked about earlier, there's obviously there's obviously demand. Uh, you know, supply constraints are still there. I mean, there is, but obviously it's it, it's a competitive market rental, and you know, starting from scratch may be a challenge. But you know, if if you're you know, if you find your niche, uh, yeah, it, it could potentially be an opportunity. Ryan? Yeah, I suspect the, the people who would be thinking about doing something like this would already be letting agents with hopefully a contact book to support it. Because I was just thinking what I would do if I wanted to set up a letting agent. I think I'd just be stuck. I'd go under in a month because um, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have any work. But if you've got, the, if you have the, the, the contacts, um, and, and you think that there's enough work in your area, because I, I'm mindful that, I think the trend here is, you know, perhaps fewer properties on the market, but you've also got perhaps fewer landlords in general. Um, landlords are also going through this kind of mergers and acquisitions process. I think the government, broadly speaking, wants to force you know, what people who own one property out of the market because they're harder to regulate um, and they're harder to uh, um to, to police uh, I think they prefer larger corporate landlords because again they're, they're quite easy to police um. That's quite an interesting statement. The the idea of of sort of the 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 accidental landlord, perhaps mm. uh, the you know the the Mister and Mrs. or just Mister or Mrs. who's got one property they they let out and being and the industry being 
not so not so friendly or conducive for them. Yeah, well, you, I think I think you've got two types of these kind of well, I would say ac- accidental maybe isn't the right right term for it, but obviously you do get from time to time people inheriting property who never intended to be landlords, but you'd have um, people who maybe dip their toe into the buy to let market when it was when it was all the rage, and now they're perhaps nearing retirement, just thinking, oh, we don't want to do this anymore, but we also have a property with a tenant in situ we can't get rid of. Um, there is, um, uh, I guess those kind of rich pickings for these institutional landlords, these cash buyers, you know, perhaps backed by uh, equity money to um, to snap up these properties, add it to their portfolio. And then you, again, you then have just this one very large landlord to deal with, um, which makes it harder to perhaps to pull them away from other agents. So uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a tricky time for a new agent to be, sta- to be starting up. I think you'd have to really back yourself. Um, I certainly wouldn't be doing it. I'll stick to lawyering. Thank you very much. <laughs> No, that's fair. We, we should all acknowledge our, our strengths and our weaknesses. And I think Ryan's been quite clear that he's not about to uh, start up a competing agency uh, tomorrow. Um, brilliant. And so the sales market um, and mortgage rates, you know, mortgage rates, Bank of England uh, is very much a, a heavily influencing factor here uh, in terms of sort of um, leveraging uh, capital to 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 enter the property market i I mean rob in your crystal ball uh what what do you what do you see in terms of the sort of direction for mortgage rates and impact on the sector i think what we're seeing right now is is probably a fairly good indicator i think you know lenders have 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 definitely gone to market with you know pretty favorable deals right now They, they there's definitely a bit of a price war going on um, and, you know, to the extent that, you know, if we look at 15 year swaps, it's, which is typically what vendors use to kind of benchmark their rates on, they're kind of racing ahead a little bit. And I think, you know, that kind of competition is, is only beneficial to the consumer, obviously. And I think where we probably land is, is, is kind of that three and a half, four percent sweet spot. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, it, in terms of what does that mean in terms of transactions? Well, hopefully that does kind of start to get people thinking about moving again. Um, and, and, and kind of, you know, those, those first time buyers get them back moving. I think the other, the other cohort are obviously independent of mortgage finance and cash buyers. And what you'd anticipate there is that they're going to remain a fairly strong kind of buyer segment over 2024. Uh, as, uh, yeah. Brilliant, and and I suppose does um does the idea that that mortgage rates are coming down and that there is a trajectory for them coming down does that lead to buyers holding off, going oh I'll I'll wait a few more months for the mortgage rates to come down because they're going to come down um sooner so I'm just going to hold back. Is that a level of speculation I, 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 that that doesn't think, doesn't quite feature? Well, I think that's what we we definitely saw that in kind of you know 2023, but I think you know their their rates were kind of not prohibitively high but yeah i mean if you're a first time buyer it it did give you pause for thought to think well actually maybe i'll you know i'll stay renting for a little bit longer and see where it pans out i think you know as i said earlier it's the market kind of over the last 12 to 18 months has been you know it's been needs based people have moved because they've had to i think what we'll hopefully start to see in 2024 is people who like to move as opposed to needing to move. Interesting. I like it. So it's a sort of loosening of the um, uh, of, of the sort of supply and demand side of things. Um, so we will come to Q&A uh, very shortly. So if you do have any questions uh, that you would like to uh, to put to Ryan, Rob, or, or myself, uh, please do use the Q&A function uh, in Zoom and we'll come to you very shortly. But um, I suppose in terms of sort of approaching our summary and our, and our wrap up of the sort of the, the meat uh, of today's uh, webinar, um, you know, what should what should agents be looking out for in 2024 um ryan can i put that question to you first sure um i think one the election date two the final version of the rent reform act as well as good law webinars on the topic um and then three i guess opportunities to distinguish yourself and and hone your craft uh again perhaps with support from from good law webinars Brilliant. Thank you for that, Ryan. And I suppose around the election, yeah, there is a, there is quite a well-established sort of uh, pause uh, in the in the sales market in particular as people hold back going like, oh, well, you know, there's going to be a, a, a new government. What might they do um, in terms of that? And that tends to concertina things uh, and release that later. Um, how about how about you, Rob? What, are, what, are we, what should agents be looking out for in 2024? 
I think yeah, Ryan has, has has got most of them. I think yeah, I, for me, it's the opportunity in, in in increased regulation, and 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 what agents can do for landlords. I think you know the other thing probably to think about in twenty twenty four is um, you know the March budget, the spring budget. You know, will Rishi do anything interesting in terms of housing policy? Will it be a stamp duty holiday? Will it be inheritance tax? Will it be something else again? Um, which, you know, I think as, as you've said, usually what happens is sales tend to die down a bit, but kind of in the absence of, of any housing policy, maybe that will be less, less likely this time around. Yes. I mean, inheritance tax is one of the, one of the things that's been trailed, um, quite extensively in, in various bits of, of the press. What, what, what sort of impact is that likely or supposed to have? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably quite cynical uh, on this. Uh, <laughs> Go I, I, on, let, I, let your cynicism out, Rob. Oh, dear. Well, I, I was actually bo- boring enough to actually look at it on New Year's Day uh, whilst I was in bed nursing a hangover. I think if you look at the top 20 uh, uh, constituencies by price, uh, typically uh, uh, conservative constituencies by price, and, and you look at currently where they're forecasted to go, in the next election, I think it's Is that property f- price. Just to be clear, property that- price. Yes, yeah. sorry. If you, if you look at that, I think it's around fifteen of those are projected to move over to Labour or, or Liberal Democrats. So could it be the you know could that uh, you know inheritance tax is obviously a fantastically unpopular policy across the board, but you know could it could it change some minds for those people who have you know very expensive properties and uh, you know are looking to you know well not looking but perhaps you know are mindful that. You know, when inheritance tax comes, they don't want to burden uh, their 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 offspring. I guess. Brilliant. I mean, and in, sorry, I, I appreciate. It. I was trying to wrap up, but inheritance tax, yes. as we touched on it, is one of these very bizarre policies, isn't it? Which which is, as you described, very unpopular or unpopular amongst the sort of general population. The idea of yes. of paying circa forty percent, um, exactly, yeah, being taxed <laughs> twice. Although all those sort of headlines that, that don't sound very good, but it's only paid for by only paid by like five percent ten percent of of estates exactly so it exactly. actually affects a very small uh should we suggest uh high value um estates uh and at the point of inheriting it's it's slightly bizarre policy isn't it no agree and i think i think i think probably obviously the you know the, the case against kind of inherit uh abolishing inheritance taxes is, is, is more around social mobility you know it's kind of basically you know that distribution of wealth is is contained within you know the same five percent again exactly yeah. so it, it, yeah it's kind of swings and roundabouts i think yeah it's uh brilliant it's, I'm, I'm i'm trying to draw us back from diving even further into that, here we go that again. Topic. uh yeah <laughs> exactly so I'm, I'm really conscious of of time at this point so this does more or less bring us to the end of uh of today's webinar um so uh it wouldn't be a good little web- webinar without a q a uh, at the very end and so um hopefully you've been uh submitting your your questions via the the q a function on zoom um and i'm going to look to danielle who's going to hopefully uh highlight some of the q a uh that we should try and uh, try and capture um danielle is there any any in particular here we go ah epcs uh that is a topic we didn't cover uh, earlier today will there be uh, another u-turn on epcs uh, if labor win the general election so i think this is highlighting the idea that 2025 was supposed to be an epc level c uh target for for all new lets uh in the uk uh lettings market um Ryan, can I can I put you on the spot? Um, a, what's the latest on on the EPC stuff? Because that never got sort of fully rubber stamped, if I if I remember. Um, and what's the sort of direction of travel for it? Well, I think that recently the uh, the government's position on the EPC stuff is that they're just not going to do it anymore. Um, <laughs> okay. And then I don't think. Although I will say, I can't say I've been keeping my eyes open for it. I don't think Labour's kind of any clear position on what they want to do about that either. So. There's no reason to think that anything is going to change from the default position, which is it's not happening. Interesting. So, in other words, like it, it's kind of been kicked into long grass slash canned. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. There's there's been some um, some news generated about Labour having a, a budget for green projects, uh, but whether or not this is the mechanism they want to spend that money on, um, I, I simply don't know. So, uh, yeah, you could. You, there's a world where that's the that's what they want to do to um, to change things. But if it's a Conservative government, I don't think it. I don't think it will change unless they scrapped it just to get themselves over the line for this election, and they're going to bring it in again, which is yes, you know, entirely possible. 
there was a, there was a there was a, a um uh, the great british uh insulation scheme or uh oh, i forget what it, not not insulate britain no that's not that but the great british insulation scheme uh i think was something that was being sort of touted i think even by the current government not by not by a labor government specifically um but then again i haven't heard much of that since um that which was about the middle of 23 um, yeah. so, Again, is it a vote winner? Perhaps not. So maybe it's, we're not going to hear much more fair, about like, it until after the election. I think that, that's a really fair sort of sort of simple answer. Is it, is it a vote winner? Will it um, will it will it win any will it will it win anyone any votes? And that's probably the things that will float to the surface. Yeah. I mean, Rob, Rob mentioned the um, a, a spring budget earlier, and I think that's really that is another thing to look out for because that's really the, the government's last chance to kind of set out their stall and say what what they're going to do for the average person. Um, I don't think they're going to be introducing EPC changes at that point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Think, Rob, Rob. Uh, no, I mean, object- I mean, objectively, it's probably the right thing to do, I think. Uh, but, you know, the challenge is, as, as Ryan kind of outlined earlier, you know, we've got a lot of smaller landlords who don't have the financial wherewithal to do it. And I think, you know, if you look at the public sector and, and the and kind of decent home standard, they had a they had a 10 or 12 year run up to get their properties up to decent home standard. And that was with subsidy through uh, rents. So they, you know, it was a well, it was above inflation rents, and I think that's probably, you know, why future home standard kind of fell down a little bit. You know, it was a an extremely kind of it, there was no run up, and there wasn't much government support behind it in, in terms of kind of those financial baubles to kind of get people doing it. And I think that's what we we typically find right now is that everybody, you know, I think most people would say that you know, energy efficiency and retrofitting is the right thing to do, but you know. But they're also looking for a bit of a government handout to support them to to make that change, and I think doing it off their own back is is where a lot of this policy for or the, where this policy fell down in particular. Yeah, and and, and I mean landlords and and the and the letting sector is one of those really awkward uh, to insulate sectors, primarily because there's no balance of investment versus return on you know reduction in energy bills or improvement in, in comfort. That's not something that stacks up. Um, you know, on a on a spreadsheet, uh, when looking at should should you invest in in you know number four the avenue, um, or or not, and that's why sort of government intervention, um, is really is is really the only way this will get get delivered, um, and then uh, one final question, um, slightly more left field, uh, are there ways to prevent landlords from selling up? How 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 does one prevent uh, landlords from leaving the market? Maybe a, a sort of a, a, a more uh, overt uh, question. Um, Rob, put you on with a couple of minutes to go. I, th- well, yeah. I, I think in terms of private rented, the private rented sector, you know, where we find ourselves has kind of been ten years in the making, isn't it? It kind of kicked off with with George Osborne and the changes there. And I think you know, there's we're running at slightly cross purposes in terms of, and that's the change the in the in the um, the tax allowance uh, exactly. and interest on mortgages. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's we find ourselves at slightly cross purposes in that, you know, a lot of landlords have have, have come into the market or come into the sector uh, as uh, an investment opportunity. And what we found due to kind of the, the wider, more dysfunctional housing market is that we're having to lean on the private rented sector to mm-hmm. kind of help us do other stuff. So, you know, we don't build enough social housing. So where do we where where do these people land? Typically private rented sector. So I think, you know, that I think as as Ryan kind of said, you know, what we're looking to try and do is professionalize the sector a bit more and try to not push out, but mm. but possibly push out. Yes, incentivize kind of more professional landlords. Go on, Ryan. Last, last, uh, last, last couple of words from you. This, this question is lovely. Um, I, I suppose on one on one level, I suppose the government could simply ban transactions from happening. That's definitely something the government can do. They're not going to do that. Feels very um, unlikely. Or another pandemic might slow but, down transactions, but but, uh, but, but again, think, yeah, that, again, that slows it down. I don't think the government's got the power to. Well, actually, I don't want to speculate what the government's got the power to do with with that kind of thing. <laughs> um, the what what I thought was interesting was just thinking about it was maintaining supply because if you have a a, a landlord leaving the market and they're going to sell to maybe a first time buyer then that property is no longer on the rental market but if you were to think about the the, the possibility that a, the government could purchase that property or the local authority could purchase that property because I mean, we we all know what the problems are with housing stock and where it's where it's come from you know not enough houses being built um, social housing being sold off. There's fewer houses. So if the government were to maintain supply by 
purchasing outgoing landlords' properties, then um, that that's something they could do. I mean, the landlord still sells the property, but you still got that property in the market, which which maybe solves the problem which the the questioner was was raising. Brilliant. Well, I'm I'm acutely aware of time uh, that we have now run over, and so it's probably it is best that we we wrap up at this stage. Um, but all it leaves me to do is to to thank our guests. Uh, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Ryan, for your time this morning. Uh, and if you have enjoyed uh, this webinar, uh, please do share it with uh, with with uh, colleagues, friends family perhaps maybe they would be interested not sure um and so it should be the recording should be posted uh online and again thank you very much for listening uh and have a good week